passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. If, 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 if your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, 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 blue this, this is the pod, is the for, you. pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. A garden fit for a king. This is EJ Stewart. It's Tommy Beer. This is Orange and Blue Blood, the New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey, WFN original, a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. We got plenty to get to on this episode of Orange and Blue Blood. We'll be talking about uh, LeBron James and his apparent impending retirement, potentially. He, he had tinted that he had been considering retirement after the Lakers lost this past week. With some wondering if maybe this is his way of trying to get out of L.A. And Vegas is already weighing in with their odds for where LeBron James would land if he leaves L.A. And lo and behold, the New York Knicks, number one. So what does that mean? Me and Tommy will discuss that. We'll also talk more about Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony, of course, announcing his retirement this week. We talked about it earlier this week. And um, the Knicks had put out a video celebrating Carmelo Anthony. Several Knicks legends had, uh, had, had given their congratulations. And now... Ian Bagley of SNY is reporting that there is momentum that Melo's number seven could be retired at Madison Square Garden shortly enough. So we'll talk about whether that is the right move for the Knicks and some of the discussion that's happened around that. And it is a This Week in Knicks History segment coming up later in the show. One of the most iconic moments in Knicks history, the dunk, happened on this day 30 years ago that we were recording. So you're talking about a 30th anniversary, so a big one. So we're going to talk about uh, the dunk, our memories behind it, and, uh, and if that 93 team did have the best chance of beating the Bulls that year. So, plan to get to you on this episode again. Tommy is my co-host. Tommy, how you feeling? How you doing? What's happening, my man? Doing good. Doing good. Um, still got some Eastern Conference playoff action uh, to look do. forward to. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Um, so, we got game five of the Heat Celtics 
Um, Eastern Conference Finals going on, which uh, is a little bit more interesting than it was last time we talked, not only because the Celtics walked away with game four, but now we find out that Gabe Vincent has been ruled out with an ankle injury. Yep. So for those uh, uh, Celtics slash Red Sox fans that were, you know, saying don't let <laughs> us win because we got Petey and Schill coming in the next two games, um, they could uh, look to make some noise and, uh, you know, be the they were the Sox were the first team 03 to win a series. Can the Celtics be the first team in NBA history uh, from down 03 to win a series? And, uh, of course, we are in May. Um uh, still not too far removed from the Knicks end of the season, but uh, in yeah. prime hypothetical trade season and uh, yeah. lot on the verge of free agency. So a lot to discuss uh, when it comes to our Bakers. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto download feature on your streaming service. When you do this, that means the podcast automatically downloads to your streaming uh, device. So you'll get these episodes every time we drop. So you don't have to worry about looking for us or searching for us in your uh, application server. You can just hit that auto download feature on your streaming service and then go to your streaming service and it'll already be there. So make sure you hit that auto download streaming service. Also be sure uh, to hit, hit the follow us on YouTube. You can catch us on the, the WFN channel and the Odyssey Sports channel. So make sure you do that as well. So let's begin with LeBron James, of all people. Not someone I expected to talk about to start a, a Knicks podcast, but we now have to talk about it because LeBron, a Lakers star, shocked much of the NBA world when he announced that he would consider retirement this offseason. The comments came after the Lakers were swept by the Denver Nuggets on Monday night. Meanwhile, Vegas is now posting odds for where LeBron James could land if he ends up leaving the Lakers this offseason. Some looking at LeBron making these comments suggesting that maybe this is him trying to maybe finagle his way out of Los Angeles. And so far, according to Vegas, the team with the best chance to land the king is the New York Knicks. Took me by surprise when I saw it crossover this week, Tommy. Uh, first of all, let's go into the should question. Should the Knicks consider trading for LeBron James at this moment in time? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, just just in terms of the of the bigger kind of issue here, um, in terms of Vegas odds. So um, as someone who's uh, covered the league for a while and wrote for a various number of outlets, um, a lot of these bet online and, and some other, you know, uh, Vegas uh, sports books have these big blast emails. And I'm on the receiving end of, you know, rookie of the year odds. And, you know, the, Kyrie Irving has demanded a trade. Who's the team he's most likely to land on odds and all these other stuff. The, the couple things to keep in mind. One, they limit the amount you can bet. So, you know, you may say, yeah. well, I'm familiar with the, you know, I know somebody who knows somebody in the front office. I'm going to bet. Uh, I know that, that, you know, that, that KD is going to sign with Brooklyn. So I'm going to bet, you know, $3 million on the nets and, and double, you know, make a quick 6 million bucks. If I'm wealthy or $10,000 or whatever you have. Um, the issue is they limit the max number you can bet. So it's usually like $50, $20, sometimes a hundred dollars, something along those lines. So this is not something they, you know, put a great deal of time into because yeah, they. There's not, some, there's not. You're not gonna. Be, you're not gonna be able to retire from your job from winning on. A hundred percent. And the and the and the sports books do this because they have limited exposure, and it also generates um, some uh, potentially some traffic to their site. You know, for instance, right. they'll send me the odds and say, you know, if you if you list the odds, please, you know, our Twitter handle is at bet bet og online or bet you know Caesars at vegas.com you know whatever the case is so they want to generate exactly. some 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 money some action some some buzz around their particular sports book um so if you're doing that would you say that lebron has the greatest odds to 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 wind up with the minnesota timberwolves 
or the New York Knicks? Which one's going to generate the most buzz? Which one's going to get podcast talking and websites clicking and, and all this other stuff? So that's that's a big factor into that. So I say all that to say I don't think there is any chance LeBron James ends up um, in New York. If you have an opportunity to trade for LeBron James, absolutely you should. I understand he's going to be 39, you know, in, in, in December, um, but he's still, you know, one of the, you know, 10, 15 best players in the NBA, you know, um, if you had to start a franchise, you know, there was just, there's no doubt that you would want LeBron James in your team. Um, but I think there's a um, very, 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 very minuscule chance that he considers being traded. Um, and I don't think the Knicks have the assets the Lakers would want if they were going to trade him, because I think it would be a complete rebuild scenario. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I land on the whole LeBron thing. Yeah. I mean, in terms of should the Knicks trade for LeBron, I'm actually going to say no. I don't know if, if, if it makes sense for them. I don't think this is necessarily the best. It's a good fit, I think, in terms of next year. If I can have LeBron James next season as opposed to Julius Randle and or R.J. Barrett, I'd rather have LeBron James, of course. I think in terms of the ceiling LeBron puts on this team, I just don't know how high it is given what I saw from this postseason and this regular season from LeBron James. LeBron is still a spectacular player, still a top 10 player around that range in the NBA. But as we saw when they played against a team like the Denver Nuggets, he couldn't carry a pretty good Lakers team. That, that team that, that was not the team that we saw earlier this year. We saw a team that kind of developed into a pretty good team. He couldn't carry that team against a, a full deep roster with a mega mega star like Jokic in the in the uh, in the NBA conference finals against the Denver Nuggets. Um, we saw during his postseason where there were games where a lot of it was AD um, leading the charge and LeBron kind of playing second fiddle and him making clutch shots, making big plays down the track, Austin Reeves making big shots. So I think we kind of saw, I think the ceiling for what a team can do with LeBron James as your best player at this point, unless you have a super team. I think that it's probably like conference finals. Maybe you don't get swept. Maybe with the Knicks, you could win some games, but I, I, I don't know if you win a championship with LeBron. And that's my problem because if you're trading for LeBron, then you're talking about a really one-year window, probably maybe two-year window. I don't know. Um, I will just say this: the last time we saw LeBron James play was an elimination game. He had a forty-point triple double. He did, you know. So, so did. Uh, and I think LeBron will age. It's been proven. He's you know nobody's ever done what he's done at age thirty-eight. I think thirty age they're gonna listen. The, the issue with LeBron is you, at this point he's you know he's a sixteen-game play. You, you know you're gonna you're gonna sit him out frequently during the regular season um you're going to manage his minutes you know at, at I, it, it, one of the other questions you have queued up here is you know do you think you retire my answer to that is no um i don't think he will either yeah i, I doubt he's even he'll even seriously consider it um i think he's got at least two years left he's talked about wanting to play with Bronny. um i could see i could see a couple scenarios um i wouldn't be shocked if he took a year off um, watched, you know, Bronny play at USC for a year, watched his son, uh, Bryce play in high school, spend some time with his daughter, take her to the park and whatnot. Um, and then come back for, for a year for Bronny's rookie season. Um, but I think the more likely scenario is he has off season surgery. Um, another thing to keep in mind, he struggled a bit this postseason, but he's also humbled, clearly, um, uh, limited, you know, due to, due to the injury. Um, yeah, so, for sure. so he has off season surgery, missed maybe the first two months of the season, first three months of the season, come back, you know, skip back to backs and, you know, basically fine tune for the playoffs. Um, my thinking just as far as Knicks related was if you have Brunson and LeBron, um, with a decent supporting cast, 
um, you have a chance again in a wide open East to, to make some noise. Um, you know, I, I would never count out LeBron. I think when you have a player like Brunson, that would give you two of, you know, maybe the 10 best players of, you know, if you could take any players starting today, let's say you're you going to have any 10 players in the NBA in a postseason series, Brunson and LeBron would be in that, that category. They'd be in the conversation. They, they, they'd yeah. be first picks essentially. Definitely. Um, so, so if you have those two guys, um, depends on what you'd have to give up to Lakers, um, Brunson's really the only untouchable in my mind, but if you have to give up all your depth, um, then it probably makes it counterproductive. Um, but again, I, I don't, I don't think that that's much of a possibility. Um, but I do think LeBron has, has plenty of gas left in the tank relative. Of course, he's never going to be the 2011, 12 LeBron that, you know, could simply dominate and take over series. Um, but again, I think he's, he could be one of the best players on the championship team. Um, so you have a guy like that in Brunson. If you could add a guy like that in LeBron and, you know, get lucky on, you know, kind of the tertiary pieces, um, somebody steps up and has a big series, then you, you kind of put yourself in the, in, in the conversation, I'd say. I, I see that, but again, look at this series. He did have that 40-point game to right. close the series, which was back against the wall, or everything on the line. In his head, maybe he was thinking this may be my last game ever. I mean, I don't I don't know, but like right, he, right. I had to cross his mind if he's talking about it in the post game. And that was the performance he put on. He's an all-time great. That wasn't that surprising. But those other games before that, they he put up good games. They were not bad games, but he, he clearly seemed outgunned. He seemed a little old. And like and one of the things that scares me the most right now is injuries like we've seen lebron deal with these injuries more and more as he's gone on it's weird it's almost like him as a player hasn't diminished but it's we're really seeing the age more in his health than it is really what he actually does on the court he can still you know launch jump from the dotted and throw down a tomahawk like he's 25 years old you know he can still you know guard up against jamal murray mano mano on certain possessions and and play all nba defense it's not necessarily the actual player it's the injury. It's when right. he lands, will he twist his foot? If he, he gets hit the wrong way, will he miss a couple of weeks, miss a month? Like that is where the, the concern I would have is if you're talking about truly only a one or two year window with someone who is that injury prone, that is the risk I would have. Cause I think that it would cost significant uh, capital. Cause for me, if I'm the Lakers, like when you're getting, yes, you're getting LeBron James, yes, you're getting an older player. But you're also getting like a, a megastar, an icon in not just basketball, but in sports. So there's a tax that goes on to that, too. Forget about, OK, I'm only getting a one year rental. You're getting one of the most iconic players in basketball. And now he's coming to your city. He's going to be playing in your arena. It's going to be now your revenue, your ticket prices get to go back up, which, you know, James Dolan would love. So if I'm the Lakers, I, Randall is not enough. I don't even know if R.J. Barrett is enough. I, I don't know if two first round picks is enough. Like, I think that you're going to have to pay a, a hefty price. For LeBron, if he were to say, I'm going to be, I want to be traded, and I'm not paying that from the Knicks. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not for a guy who I think is going to be good for one or two years. I think I, I disagree with that. I think he, if he wants to stick around, it'll be better than, you know, you get a little bit longer window. But that being said, as far as the Lakers in terms of their leverage, they would have zero essentially because LeBron would say, Maybe he makes more than one team, a couple teams, but it's not like you can, you know, you can know 29 teams are open in the bidding. You know, he's only going to accept the trade to a trade to a handful of teams. Um, so that might limit yeah. what the Lakers but, could request, you know. But I do think the Lakers are going to try to recoup a lot of these assets that they lost. Remember, they, they made that Anthony Davis trade. They made that Russell Westbrook trade. Like they essentially have no draft picks they could trade up until 2029. Like I, I think that if you're saying, okay, we're going to trade arguably the greatest player of all time, a guy who we both agree can still play at an extremely high level. Uh, I'm going to make sure I get a lot of those assets back. And they got quite a lot that they lost. So I don't want to be, you know, helping the Lakers future 
uh, in hopes right. that LeBron can get me in title in one or two years. I will say this, though, and one of the questions I have about um, what a package would look like for LeBron. So I was saying, okay, I think that would be a lot. I mean, do you think it would be less than that? Like, what are you what are you saying? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I would say um... – I mean, it's tough to, to figure again because there's there's limited options. Let me throw let me kind of twist it on you a little bit, EJ. Yeah. Um, I think the Lakers need somebody who's going to produce in the regular season. My thinking, it, 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 as far as LA related, was would they trade for Randall um, mm. if they kept LeBron? What 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 do you think about a, if they sign and trade Rui Hachimura, Malik Beasley, Vanderbilt, and a first round pick for Randall and Fournier? Which side says no? I think the Knicks say no. Okay. Yeah, I think the Knicks. I think I think the Knicks say no because I think I think if they're trading Randall, that actually was some. I don't know if it was a podcast, but I saw. I guess Michael Scotto, who type was with Bagley and, and uh, Bondi. I think uh, I think they had mentioned how they were talking about if they see a Randall trade happening, it would be for in a payment a package for a star, which is kind of how I've always seen it. Even though I would not be opposed to the uh, you know scaling down a little bit just to get Randall kind of off the team. <laughs> I think that that's very important at this point. But um, I, it just doesn't seem like that's the way the Knicks see him. So I think the Knicks would know because I think they would think they, they should get more for a guy who was a all-NBA third team this year, a second-team all-NBA guy a couple years ago. But like I was, we've talked about it before on this, on this podcast, Randall is such a confounding player because I've never seen a guy who produces so well in the regular season. has had two of the last three seasons, two absolute monster seasons offensively apparently have such little value in the NBA. I, I, I don't – I understand it somewhat, but it seems a little extreme. Like, we've had other temperamental stars who, when they get traded, you know, they get – the teams are able to get back decent value for him. I mean, he's not Rasheed Wallace. He's not a guy who's getting 50 technical fouls. I mean, yeah, he's temperamental, and, yeah, he could be a bad teammate at times, but this is a guy who's giving you 25 and 10 and five assists, and, and you know, I don't know. So I, it's not a terrible trade. The fact that I can, uh, you know, offload Fournier would be great, and I get a first round pick back. I, I, another thing I think about the weird thing about that too is is what are you doing with those forwards? Because okay, Rui comes in, right. and now you got Vanderbilt, and then Obi Toppin still on the team. I, are they fighting for the starting spot at the four? How much am I paying Rui? I guess would also I be a question. I think it just gives you greater flexibility. Again, in, in terms of draft picks, you can either t- it would either be the the Lakers twenty twenty nine pick, which could be a great pick. You know, no LeBron yeah, will be gone, Anthony Davis will be gone. They they regarded their their you know their, their future picks, or the the Lakers can also trade the seventeenth overall pick from this coming draft after they make the after they make the selection, they could trade it. Um, and then you just have some flexible pieces. You know, you can include Malik Beasley in the deal if you want to get him back in the deal, Max Christie. Um, you know, you can kind of have the Lakers throw in these, these ancillary pieces, and then you can flip them for future draft picks or, you know, just right. kind of just have guys on the roster. You know, Vanderbilt's on a contract that pays him less than $5 million. Um, if you can get Rui at a relatively cheap contract, that's a team-friendly contract. Um, and he also played really well in the postseason. Um, you know, shot six. Rui, yeah, he played great in the postseason. Absolutely. Played really well. I mean, you factor in, you know, his efficiency in the postseason versus Randall's. Again, there's no oh, comparing yeah. the players. Randall's infinitely better regular season player. But, again, I just I can't help but think, are you going to be confident game one of 
the first round series in 2023, 2024, if Randall's on the team, like, are you going to be confident he's going to play well? If he's, even if he's fully healthy, even if he has a great regular season, and that's the best case scenario that he has a great regular season. What if he struggles right. in the regular season? Um, I just don't know if you can, if you can, you know, risk taking that team um, in a wide open East into the postseason. So those are, those are the kind of thoughts I, I'm, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about Randall trades. Yeah, I broke it down. I, I wrote about um, a, a potential trade for Pascal Siakam in the newsletter today, um, along with this this Lakers trade. Um, and there's going to be more down the pipeline, a lot of to discuss. Um, but I just think you kind of have to think outside the box a little bit. Um, and the more I think about it, the just the the, the body language, the, the 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 lack of you know energy and effort defensively, um, really frustrating. And and it just I just don't know yes. if you can yeah. enter a season with Tibbs and Randall and something you've talked about. If, if yeah. And so if you're going to trade Randall and you, if you're going to keep Tibbs and that means you're probably going to, you know, if you're not going to bring both back, you're going to trade one. I don't know what the best package you can get for Randall. All it takes is one team to, to, to give you basically his worth, his regular season worth. That's why I think a team like the Lakers would be perfect because they need somebody just chew up minutes in the regular season and be a star in the regular season. And that's exactly what Randall can do. And then they have LeBron and then he can take a back seat to AD and LeBron in the postseason and just kind of be the third wheel and get in where he fits in. Um, you know, but you know, he can be a, a starter in the regular season. So I know that that's not an ideal package for Nick fans. And you think like well, an all-star and all NBA player on a, a yeah. relatively team friendly contract. Is that the best you can get? I don't know, but there you, you have to look at all the, you know, can you parcel out that trade into a three team deal? Maybe a flip Rui, you know, in the sign and trade along with uh, the first round pick for another, you know, for another player that's a better fit or, or maybe an improvement. Um, but again, you know, I, I could say, well, Carl Anthony Towns is much better than Rui Hachimura, but he's going to make $50 million a right. year. Right. It's not exactly. a perfect. It's not a perfect solution. There's no silver there's, bullet with this thing. There's, exactly. There's no perfect player. Um, because if you had the perfect player, then then you then you wouldn't want to trade him. But you know you're going to trade a flawed player um, in in Randall that's amazing in the regular season, struggles in the postseason, and and there's some other stuff there that he could regress um, for a, maybe a combination of moderately you know priced upside assets or an overvalued star that's going to you know potentially cripple your cap. Um, so there's there's no perfect answer out there. So that's why it's worth kind of discussing and hashing these ideas out. No, it is. And to me, like the way I've seen the Randall trade, I feel like it's going to have to take a star saying they want to go to New York and a team willing to act. We have to say, all right, well, this is where they want to go. And they're really hell-bent on making sure we send them there. And if we want to be able to still be competitive. And and the other thing is that team has to also still want to be competitive, at least in the regular season, and still want to make the playoffs. And that that star has to have an affordable contract. For instance, if Carl Anthony Towns was at the Yankee game two days ago, says, I'm coming to New York – the Knicks, Knicks are going to be like, mm, okay, thanks, but no thanks. You know, like, again, <laughs> as we talk about, if Zach Levine says, trade me to New York, I only want to go to New York. He's an all-star. He's a superstar. But does that make sense for the Knicks? So it's it's complicated. Yeah, it's funny. Seeing Carl Anthony Towns at that Yankee game, he was clearly doing the Donovan Mitchell. Yes. He's on the Donovan Mitchell, you know, strategy guide. So I'm like, yep. did he see how the Donovan, Donovan Mitchell thing ended? Like, he may get his behind sent to Indiana doing all yep. this politic in new york you know yep. you know donald mitchell had the at the coney island uh brooklyn cyclones <laughs> bobblehead day and then now calling the town saying hey let me put on a yankee ad and yankee jersey and remind people hey i, I love the yankees i'm from the area yep. let me throw out the first pitch because that's yep. i'm like why is carly towns throwing out the first pitch like who's even thinking about Carly towns in new york except for i guess apparently calling the town and, and maybe this could be 
where he can go. So he's he's definitely on the uh, the promotional campaign. I don't know how well it's going to work. It didn't work out for Spider Mitchell as close as that came, and I, I don't I doubt it'll work for Constant Towns. Though it appears that there are people who think that that will happen at some point. We talked about playing this show. Uh, this next conversation with all season trade with what they do with Randall is going to be interesting. And one last thing on the Randall thing, the other aspect as well is whatever trade you're making, like for instance the Pascal Siakam trade or how I mentioned with the the Rui trade, like then there is still this this thing of what you do with Obi Toppin. Like that's still that's still a part of this. Like like in my opinion, I would hope to trade Randall. Not again, it might not be a perfect player out there. If you're trading Randall for a comparable star or a better star, I hope it would be for a guy who doesn't play power forward. So you can start Obi Toppin, who's going to be making, you know, uh, you know, relatively affordable money before his contract extension comes up and you can put him in the starting lineup. But if you're trading for Pascal Siakam, if you're paying, trading for Rui Hachimura, these are guys who well, Pascal Siakam absolutely starting over, over, yeah. uh, over, over uh, Obi Toppin and Rui could even start over Obi. That, that's why the Rui thing kind of intrigues me a little bit because maybe Rui would be comfortable being the sixth man, you know, or, or being yeah. that part of that, 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 you know, cause he, he'd become obviously, you know, up until the final game of the Lakers postseason run, he was, you know, he was, he was operating off the bench. You bump Obi up and maybe you split their minutes, you know, 20, 25, 23, 24, 24, yeah. whoever playing well finishes the game, you know, like they both, you know, play complementary roles. That's why they, that's why I think there would be some intrigue there. Um, you know, but because to your point, if you trade Randall for, what position do they need other than power forward if they trade if they are trading Randall? You know, they're obviously not going to trade for point guard. Shooting guard, you I, I don't want to say, you know, I, I love Grimes' upside. You have him locked into a rookie contract. Um, you have IQ to back up both those spots. Small forward, are you going to trade for starting small forward? Then what do you do with uh, R.J. Barrett? A center, you know, DeAndre Ayton, but then you got to send out Mitchell Robinson in the deal. Um, so yeah, there's, I, I mean, I don't know what I would do if they trade for DeAndre Ayton. I, so I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'd, I'd be yeah. curled up in the fetal position for like two months until opening night. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if I not, look at that starting line, but Aiden's on DeAndre Aiden. I don't want anything to do with DeAndre Aiden. No, oh, okay. uh, I mean, I think that I think that uh, I question, I question. He, he's extremely talented offensively. I don't know. I'm gonna take that back. I cannot say extremely talented. I think he has some talent offensively. I think he's a seed defensively, and. There's something missing with, I think, the basketball makeup and character that I just think would be a disaster in New York. I, I would not, I would not touch him. I think he's a little bit of a buy low guy. Like I, you know, I think that the sons of sour on him. But to your point, there's probably a reason that the, they, the, that, the, that, con, that con, I would mean buying low. It would feel better if the contract wasn't so yeah. expensive. Like he right. just signed right. that massive extension, and I know, and, and that's why you know when when they try to put him on other teams, I'm just like, good luck to that team that. I, I, to me, like I, I almost would prefer him to go someplace like Utah or someplace where it's going to be super low stakes, and perhaps he can kind of find himself, uh, be that true number one or two option wherever he wants to go. Because I think that's that's how he sees himself, and maybe that's how he kind of regenerates his career. But he's going to a team that's trying to get back to the playoffs, trying to win a championship, and he's seen as you know getting another third banana. Like I think that that would end terribly. I would just say that his while he did sign that contract, it's not as bad as as the other guys. Like he's making around 32, 30, 32, 32.5 next year, uh, then 34, then 35.5. So it's not the $50 million, 50 to 60 million that right. Carlos yeah. Towns are looking. So it's a little bit more moderate, but I agree. It's it's not a great, it's not a value contract. It's not a team no. contract. And it's uh, funny, like, the Knicks have so many contracts now that are so great yes. that like 
it's, it's kind of it kind of skews how you view other players in their contracts. Yes. You look at them and you're just like, oh, I would never touch that guy. It's like, well, I mean, there nobody else in the NBA, nobody else in the NBA has a player that's a two time All NBA guy making like twenty eight million, twenty seven million. You know, exactly. no no other team has a, a point guard who did what Brunson did in the, in the in the postseason and in the regular season making you know twenty six, twenty seven million. That's just not that doesn't exist. So so there were twenty teams that made the playoffs slash play in. The Knicks are the only one that don't have a player making above 27 million. There you go. Every other team in the NBA that made either the playoff or the play, not just the playoffs, and the play-in, um, has at least one player. Most have multiple players making more than, than, than 30 million. Knicks don't have anybody making more than 27. That's going to be a big, important thing about when the Knicks make a trade, if they do make one, is jumping into that super max yep. conversation. Like, this is something the Knicks just haven't been involved in since essentially mellow left and now if you make a trade for one of these guys that's going to be where you're going to be going so uh speaking of carmelo the knicks fans across the world are still celebrating carmelo after he announced his retirement earlier this week team posted a video montage of knicks legends like patrick ewing clyde frazier alan houston and john starts congratulating mellow on his retirement uh this week sny's ian bailey is reporting that there is growing momentum within the organization to retire carmelo anthony's number so I was a little surprised at how controversial this topic became on social media and among you know airwaves across uh, New York City. So I'll ask you, Tommy, should the Knicks retire Carmelo Anthony's number? I go back and forth on this. Um, I don't have a strong opinion. I've seen some people get so worked up, like I'll never be a fan again if they retire his number, or, yes. I, or, or I'll protest the Garden if they don't retire his number. Like. I, I, I get it. You know, you, 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 it's maybe your favorite player. You'd like to see, his, but I can't get that worked up about it. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I could be convinced one way or the other. I, you know, I, I've given it some thought. I don't really have, it, it's kind of like what you, you know, what, what's your criteria for putting a guy uh, up on right. the ring of honor or the whole family, you know, the retired his Jersey. Um, I'll just say this. If they retire his number, they should obviously retire Bernard Kings as well. Um, Absolutely. So I don't know if they're going to do one first and the other, but I there will be a segment of fans that will be upset if they retire Bernard King and not Mello, and vice versa. If they announce they're going to retire Anthony, a lot of fans, and rightfully so, are going to demand that they um, retire uh, Bernard Kings as well. Um, so, uh, but again, you know, does, is is Oakley um, is Carmelo Anthony more deserving of having his number retired than Charles Oakley? It depends on what your value and playoff runs. We know that. I, I know. Oakley, I know. I know one person who. Doesn't think that Oakley should have it retired. James Dolan. <laughs> Oakley will never have his jersey retired. But what about Starks? The Starks deserve. Right. You no, know, it's like are these? Is it? Should you get your number retired for your fan favorite? Should you get your number retired if you never made it past the second round of the playoffs and only made it past the first round of the playoffs once? Um, all that stuff kind of gets weighed into it. Ultimately, um, sure, retire his number if it makes fans happy. That's cool, and and I have no problem with it. Um, I, I again, I don't feel all that strongly. I, I wish I had a hot take, and I wish. I was fired up about it, but to be honest, I don't. I, I, one, it doesn't really affect me one way or the other. So um, I understand their arguments, pro and against. Um, I probably lean towards pro um, because I'm not as strict a grader when it comes to getting guys um, jerseys retired. But again, um, it's imperative if you retire his number that you also get a Bernard King jersey up in the rafters. Yeah, I mean, to me, retiring Carmelo Anthony's number has been a no-brainer for me for a long time, which is why I don't know why people are upset about it because to me, it, it's really simple. Carmelo Anthony, during his prime with the New York Knicks, was one of the best players in the NBA. And in the era that he played, which is, you know, let's let's take the 20 years of Knicks history 
during where well, while he was there, he had the most success of any Nick player that played during that time. So unless you're going to say no player that played in that era because they were lost that happened should have their number retired. That's one thing, but I just don't agree with that. Again, like I don't, I think that it's to keep comparing what Carmelo Anthony accomplished in terms of wins, which again, it's weird because it's a team sport and say, well, what about the guys who are, who are also up there? The guys who, you know, won titles in the seventies, it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't compute to me. It doesn't make any sense. That's a different era of Knicks basketball. But if that was the case, if, if all we value is championships, then why don't we have all 12 men who are on the 73 team and all 12 men who are on the 1970 team? Why don't we put all their numbers in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the rafters? No, there's a part of it that is how you were as an individual. Like we don't put up, we do put up banners, 73 and 70 are up there. Those are championship team banners. We honor those teams. And those guys who, who are on those teams, we brought them back this year in 1974 to celebrate the 1973 team. So we we have an honor for that. This is individual achievement. This is not what you won as a title. What, that, none of that matters. And if you're talking about what Melo accomplished as a Nick, one of the all-time leading scorers, most points ever at the Garden, most points ever by a Nick. In the era that he played, he was the only Nick star to lead his team past the first round of the playoffs. It may not sound like a lot, but that's just the reality of the Nick situation. For 20 years, they only went to pass the first round of the NBA playoffs twice. Like, I mean, that that's just a fact. So to say that everything I watched and everything that happened during that era doesn't matter is nonsense. And I, I don't understand it. Now, I think it's very clear that Bernard King should have his number up there first because he's been waiting a lot longer and to me, in some ways, him and Melo are very similar. They're guys who won one playoff series. Teams weren't that great. But individually, it was no question that they were dominant. I think there's a little more sentimental value to Bernard because Bernard played so hard. Bernard was so tough. Uh, LeBron, excuse me, Bernard had a little bit of a there, – there was – Carmelo is a little Hollywood. And there was nothing Hollywood about Bernard King. So no. it's very easy to get behind – Bernard King being up there. But like if you look at their numbers and you look at what they accomplished, they're very similar. So if you're saying, well, Bernard King should be up there, but Melo shouldn't, I don't quite understand that. I think that they're both similar players. I think it's neck and neck. You want to say who is the better Nick? I understand if you say Bernard. I've made the case for Melo in the last podcast episode. But like to me, this thing that Melo shouldn't have his number is like ridiculous. Like he also took the challenge to come to New York. How many times do we say stars, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're ducking New York City. They didn't want the pressure. They didn't want all the expectations. Here's a guy that came here. He produced individually. He did lead the team past second, first round of the playoffs. One of the years he was here, the only time any other player had done that until Julius Randle did it in 2000, oh, excuse me, uh, 2023, Randle and Brunson uh, since 2000. I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand the case not to put him up there in the Raptors. It's crazy. Yeah, I just I guess the only argument would be you just want to make it really selective. But again, to your point, it's it's not like the, the guys up there, um, you know, are 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 all you know. It's not right. like they only have, it's it's not like they only have three guys up there: Ewing, Reed, and, and Frazier. You know, in the busher, there's a bunch of other you know. Bill Bradley's up there, obviously. Right. And, you know, so it's that that's that. Yeah, we got uh, we got Dick McGuire's up there, like. Right. Like we don't, we didn't say, oh, guys, only guys who won championships or only guys that were the best players on championship teams. Like we didn't do that. So with Melo, where, why is now there all this? And I think for me, I think the 
what I can gather when I'm hearing these cases is, well, when Melo came here, there was expectation that the Knicks were going to be a championship team. And that's not true. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that is ludicrous. The Miami Heat had a juggernaut in the Eastern Conference. Yes. Getting nope. Carmelo Anthony was essentially the Knicks giving themselves a puncher's chance to yeah. compete at the top level. And that's what they did. They yeah. they had a puncher's chance. One year they were in the mix, and then they, they fell a little short. Other years they made the playoffs, got knocked out of the first round. But this thing, like this, they, like I think they're they put they're putting expectations on Melo, like he should have accomplished more. No, but I don't really know. I think he accomplished what he was supposed to, given the player that he was. A hundred percent. All everyone hoped that he would make the Knicks relevant again because they were irrelevant laughing yeah. for ten right. years. Every year they were terrible. They were t- awful. They were unwatchable, and he made them watchable and relevant and fun and exciting and all that other stuff. And nobody expected to beat the the, the, the super team Heat. Yeah, no, it's crazy, and the fact that people. He was so good in 2013 that people actually believed that they could beat that Heat team. Shows you how good that he was. Like, 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 I was saying, I say, yo, if the Knicks hit the Heat, I think they could beat them. Like, that's how great Melo's playing. That's how great this team is playing as a group. And, like, that is a testament to his greatness. Because think about, how again, how dominant that Heat team was. They went to the finals every year. They were together with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. So, I, I don't, I don't get why there is pushback. Do you think that Melo will have his number retired within the next five years, let's say? Yeah, I think this was um, – I think this will be the push that gets King retired, and then once Bernard gets retired, then Melo will get retired. So, yeah, I would uh, – I, I think there's a very, very strong possibility that both those guys have their numbers up within – I would say even less than five years, three years, something like that. I remember really hoping Bernard gets it up there because that was – that's the one that just – it's just bothered me for so and, long. My dad, and because we, and, because, man, yeah. and we've talked about this before. He's in the arena a lot. He's always in the garden. He's always at the. I think that's the. I think that's the Penis Dolan pace. Because <laughs> there's know, no, there's no way Bernard's paying for those tickets. So, those so tickets least, are five thousand dollars every night. So at least, he, and it, so he must have a, a, at least a solid relationship. Um, so you know that would make yeah. me think that you know nothing personal because Dolan would do it out of spite and just you know like obviously right. Oakley would would never be, be be up for debate. But I think I think Bernard does. I think he does. Yeah, I think I think Dolan. I think I think Dolan is not. I don't think it's spite. Yeah, I think he's saying, hey, I'll put you. We'll bring you to every game. We want you to be a part because a lot of fans love you. But I think I do think Dolan thinks that that thing should be selective, and that's why I think right. he's the reason why Bernard's numbers not up there. But I think this is kind of a way to say, oh, okay, well, at least we'll give you tickets to come in any Nick game you want, essentially, and sit right. on the baseline, which, again, those are $5,000, $10,000 tickets. Okay. So, like, there is that there. But I, I agree. I think that now there's going to be this pushback. Because if he puts Bernard – he puts Mel's number up there for Bernard King. That will be a problem. It and that would be really – and not say that Dolan won't do silly things, but that would be right, really right, silly. Right. Because, I wouldn't Dolan. But it, right. there'll be a public pushback big time. Right. It'd be silly because, like, this is something that's a positive thing. Anytime yes. a guy gets a number retired, there's positivity behind it. Now, of course, again, there's a segment of Nick fans who think he should be up there. But they'll be drawn out by people who will be excited. Yes. The overall NBA community will be excited. Yes. Fans around the world will be excited. Fans around the country will be excited. So it will just be a great moment. The only way he can soil that is by saying we're going to do it before Bernard King. Or at the very least, not announcing Maybe right. it's, a, it's a, like a date. Say, okay, Melo will be on December seventh, and Bruno Bernard right. on February eighteenth. Like that's that's fine. I don't think anybody would go crazy about that. As long as it's clear that Bernard King's number will be up there eventually. But that that is yeah. something that has, to, that has to happen. Because there was some talk that Melo would be retired when the Nuggets come to the Garden this year, 
Um, but again, I think it would be important to at least announce Bernard King prior. And speaking on that, Denver needs retired Melo's number two. Yes. Now yep. Jokic wears his number, and they could right. grandfather it in. But like, right. same same with Randall and King. Right. Exactly. Just like yeah, exactly. Just like with Randall, like they could Randall could keep wearing it, yes. and then, and then whenever he moves on or he retires a Nick, then the thirty is done. Yep. But like Mel absolutely should have his number retired. The Nuggets when Mel got there, I think they won seventeen games. Yes. The year he got drafted, they won I a mean, combined forty-three games the two years before he arrived, yeah. and then won forty-two when he arrived. And his numbers with the Nuggets are better than his numbers with the Knicks. He's played yes, more games with Nuggets, has more points, more postseason wins. Hundred percent has should have his number retired. And and yeah. the Nuggets obviously don't have the same storied history as the Knicks, so there's no reason why why you know it's not like yeah. Uh, Melo was an absolute. He was a dog. With oh, the, he was a Denver Nuggets, and 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 I am hoping, and I put it out there on Twitter, and I'll say it here: A, his number should retire, and B, I'm hoping he gets an invite to one of these NBA Finals games. Like I think it, he needs to yeah, be there. Should be in Denver. Yeah, you I know, know George Carl has been calling for. I think some other Denver folks have been saying, like, you know, we need to bring the game back together. You know, um, uh, Wilson Chandler and, and all those. You know, Andre Miller and, and AI and you know those those those. Chauncey and, and Billups. I know Chauncey Billups is coach, but but he, he right he, right I don't right. See why he couldn't. But either out, way, but... Mello certainly. Uh, I would expect, yeah. I, I assume the NBA will do the right thing. It's a it's a no brainer, a PR opportunity. And you know, Mello loves you know the the publicity and Hollywood stuff. So um, I would yeah. be shocked if he wasn't out in Denver for game one. I hope so because I just it, it felt weird that that relationship since Melo left. I mean, I guess you know that happens, but like you know, they hasn't re- they don't really promote Melo much when they talk about the history of this franchise. Again, yeah, they, they, they've never they've never brought him to any of these games. They've been in playoff games and stuff up until this point, and he hasn't been there. It's a you know, it's a look. You, you, your 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 hot girlfriend left the small hometown to go to the big city, and you know, so like there's I, yeah. I understand there's some some jealousy there and. Um, you know, some, some, uh, you know, but if, you know, it's been 10 years, get over it. It's, it's time to move on. You know? Yeah. I mean, I saw, I sat there and I, I, I was there for two mellow ovations this year, one on Christmas, one during game two in the Eastern conference semifinals at the garden. And the second one, I said, I really hope Mel gets this in Denver. He needs to get this in Denver at some point. Like yeah. his, yeah. what he brought to that community, what he brought to that team. That's um, true. Absolutely a legend for the Nuggets as well. So hopefully that happens. Um, all right. Today, we celebrate an iconic moment in Knicks history on this edition of This Week in Knicks History, the dunk. It was 30 years ago on this day, we record on May 25th, that John Starks drove baseline and rose up for a left-handed flush over several Chicago Bulls uh, in Game 2 of the 1993 Eastern Conference Finals. And if you were too young to be there for it or you don't remember it, here is a call from Mr. Mom Robert. We're down to 50 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Starks. Yes. What a move by Starks who was able to sky for the basket. The Bulls call for time. So that bucket from John Starks gave the Knicks a five-point lead late in the fourth quarter to secure that win. The slam, as you heard, sent the Garden crowd into a frenzy, uh, propelled the Knicks to a 2-0 series lead. I get chills listening to that call, just like I got chills listening to the mellow threes uh, from, uh, I guess, Chicago on Easter on 20, in 2012, hearing that call of uh, Marv Robert, hearing that crowd go crazy. Awesome moment. Um, it was, unfortunately, the last game the Knicks would win in that series. However, 
Chicago put together four straight wins to advance to their third straight NBA Finals. So let's talk about the dunk. It remains one of the most talked about moments in Knicks history. When you think about the dunk, uh, what memories come to you, Tommy? Oh, man. The... uh... The, the innocence of youth when you could really get invested. I was, uh, let's see, 93, I was probably around 14 years old, wow. 13, something like that. So it was like right in the prime of like when you really get to be a fan and not an yep. adult when you're jaded and cynical. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I, I, at this at this stage of the game, I've been in the locker room after wins and losses. And I've kind of seen how the how the sausage is made, so to speak. Um, right. so it's diff- more difficult to just kind of be a, a, a mindless fanatic. Um, but when you're yeah. a te- when you're a teenager, that's when you can really just throw yourself and your personality and, you know, wear your stuff to school and fight yeah. friends who had, you don't talk to your friends who wore bull starter jackets um, <laughs> that week and that month. Uh, and, and just really, you know, it was, just, it was just so much more than a game. It, it really was, um, you know, when, when it was, when it was just so important. Um, so I remember watch, I remember the dunk. I remember going up to it all. Um, it's hard to imagine for fans that weren't around during that time, just how important that rivalry was to um, having Jordan rip your heart out year after year. And it seemed like the Knicks were finally going to get it done. Um, obviously going two up, uh, going up 2-0 in the garden. Um, and, you know, you wanted it for Patrick. You wanted it for Starks. Um, I think the most memorable thing about the dunk is the poster, the dunk. Um, oh, yeah. I, you know, if you're, if you're aged, you know, 35 to 45, 50, um, every Nick fan, every kid had that in their, um, in their bedroom when they were, they had that on their wall. Um, that post that I have it, uh, in my, in my office. There you right go. Now, right right here. there. That awesome. is, the, that is people check out people who listen on the podcast, go to YouTube and find the video, find the, uh, the poster that Tommy's talking about. Cause he's you, showing it right now on the podcast. And, and, and you can't really see it, but there's tape and holes and rips. Because <laughs> this is the original poster that was in my bedroom um, uh, from 20 years ago. You know, 30 wow. years ago. Now. 30 years ago. Wow, that's uh, awesome, man. I had it in my bedroom, you know, before, you know, from whenever, when I, you know, from, from eighth grade to high school. Went to college, had it in my dorm room. Moved to Boston for a few years, had it in my apartment. Moved to Queens for a decade had it in my apartment. Um, and now I moved here and I, and I got it up in my office. Um, and I, and I, and I think a lot, I have another signed photo of the dunk by Starks himself. My dad got me, um, maybe 10 years ago. I have that in my basement. So I actually have two, um, the dunk, uh, picture posters up in my home. Um, but yeah, it's just, there's a connection there, um, between the fan base. It's one of the reasons why Starks was so loved. And you talked about guys that played hard, like the, you know, remember Starks was begging groceries three years before, um, you know, five years before that play a, a couple months before um you know he was signed by the knicks uh, as a training camp invite um basically only made the roster because he injured himself trying to dunk on ewing um you know in 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 the training camp prior to his, his rookie season with the knicks um there's a, there's a backstory to all that um but just you talk about a guy that um heart and soul and effort and you know it, you know he would tap his chest and do the new york thing before like that was a popular thing he was just somebody that really you felt represented you as a fan represented the fan base um and certain players just connect uh, with fans and the fan base more than others. And Starks was one of those guys. And that was the pinnacle, um, literally jumping over, you know, Horace Grant, Michael Jordan, um, reaching the summit of, of his career and, and his time as a Nick. Yeah, it was, it was an iconic moment. I mean, I was 
uh, two years old when this happened. So I don't remember anything. Obviously, I know I was with my dad probably because he was definitely watching this game. It's funny. I, whenever I hear the stories about the dunk, one of the funny things I always think about is people always saying, oh, Starks drunk dunked on Jordan. And I'm like, then I would go watch the video. I'm like, Jordan was like barely in the picture. He kind of jumped late and didn't really contest the dunk. He really did. He dunked on Horace Grant. I think that that's fair to say. But they always, the Knicks fans, oh, remember Starks went baseline and dunked on Jordan. That's, anybody, anybody telling a story about the dunk always had to mention that uh, Stark dunked on Jordan, even though mm-hmm. that didn't actually happen, which is just like, just part of the fable, part of the legend of the story. I yep. love it. Every time I talk about it, it was like, oh, remember when Stark dunked on Jordan? So that part of it is funny. And to me, like, that play, I think, to me, is like, is they're like, it's distant cousins of the, the Houston shot. Like, I tell you guys how the Houston shot over Miami is in my, is in my uh, apartment. It's hanging as well. Just like Tommy talked about the uh, having the dunk hanging right there uh, behind him. Like, to me, those plays kind of just embody those two Knicks 90s teams. Like, they're different teams. But, like, I think if you think of, like, what play embodies that Knicks team of the early 90s, the Ewing-led teams with Starks and Oakley and uh, and and and, um, and Anthony Mason and, and those guys, that dunk, I think, is kind of the pinnacle when you think of the late 90s Knicks teams and say what is the moment that kind of epitomizes that mo- that team. I think it's the Houston shot over Miami. And it, it, when I think about that series – because so many will say that was the Knicks' best chance at beating Chicago. They were up 2-0. They were going to Chicago. And it's crazy. Like, Jordan had this really terrible game three. But Scottie Pippen dominated game three. So And the Knicks kind of came in sleepwalking. And that was the game that the Knicks really need to get. I don't think they realized how important getting up 3-0 was against that team. And especially when you get Jordan shooting so poorly in game three. I think he shot like three for 20, something crazy in that game. Um, the fact that they didn't get that game kind of allowed the floodgates to open because then Jordan has 54 in the next game. Now all the pressure is on you coming into game five. And, of course, the nightmare of Trossman underneath the basket um, leads to, uh, uh, you know, the Knicks uh, losing that series. But it, to me, also, when I think about the Starks dog, it kind of reminds me of the Andy Chavez catch. Like, nobody really even talks too much about the Knicks losing that series. People talk about Charles Smith, but. What happened almost doesn't matter because the play is so spectacular and so iconic in itself that you can kind of separate not winning a championship with like how incredible that play was given the stakes and everything. Uh, Jordan was three for 18 in game three, but he was also he was also 16 of 17 from the free throw line, though. So yeah. that, that's kind of where he made his bones. But yeah, you know, Phil Jackson um, uh, needling the refs, talking about brass yeah. basketball and doing all the stuff he did that certainly helped yep. him. Bull yep, shot yep. 42 free throws in that game. Crazy. Um, Pippen. <laughs> of 12 shooting um and uh yeah so uh, but yeah I, I think that probably was their best chance to to beat the bulls um you can make a case for for previous years as well but um obviously the charles smith nightmare and and and, and the other situ you know the other stuff that went into it um and uh yeah i i i that that's that to this day it, it's it's still uh that that one still stings obviously um and charles smith gets too much blame but uh you're, you're right they had an opportunity in game three they should have won game yeah. five uh and then you would have felt confident them taking game seven at the garden at being someone who was watching those games and a fan of those teams are you among those who say that the knicks mistake was not bringing back xavier mcdaniel into that 93 team or do you feel like you know that was not as relevant because the 90 92 team 
or did not win as many games in the 91 the, the 93 team was the number one seed in the east won 60 games uh the 92 team was a good team they only lost you know uh they only won they won 51 games but they did play take the bulls of seven games so they did actually challenge the bulls even further in that do you think that that was the kind of the the the, the move that kind of shifted the dynamics of the series between those two teams I don't think so. Um, okay. I, listen, I, I thought McDaniel was obviously a key piece, a, a crucial piece. And it's difficult to kind of, you know, it's, it's funny when he asked me those questions, because now I would look at the plus minus the off, you know, the analytical yeah. side of it. Back then, you just kind of, you know, we didn't have access to the kind of the, the, the research and, and all the yeah. other stuff. You know, I would just read Newsday the day after the game, even though I, I knew what happened. That was really the only outside source of maybe listen to Mike and the Mad Dog. You know, like those are the only ways and, and, and differing voices you had. You'd talk to my buddies, but, you know, some, you know, some kids watch sports, some kids don't. Some kids kind of just keep an eye on it and are familiar with the score or whatever. Uh, but it's amazing that kids nowadays have such access to um, a wide Absolutely. variety of voices and maybe for better, maybe for worse. I don't know. It's a fascinating question to kind of think about. Maybe we'll discuss it sometime this, this offseason. But um, you just kind of really had to sit with yourself and, you know, your close, you know, your couple close friends that you trusted and trust their opinions and some family members and, and stuff like that. Um, but there wasn't as as you know, there wasn't pod, podcasts that, that's, you know, yeah. we we're talking more about that play and that and then probably in the in the 10 years after um, that yeah. actually, happened, let alone the day after the night of, you know, imagine Twitter, imagine Twitter on the night of the dunk, you know, like it would just, you know, you think Nick fans go crazy for a, a regular season win on, uh, you know, on, on February or a yeah. win over the, the Cavs in round one. <laughs> um, think about beating Jordan in 1993. It's just, yeah. it's, it's almost, it's hard to fathom. Really. And I thought you really encapsulated well why Stark was so beloved by the fans because I often kind of wonder, you know, when we think of John Stark, people first think about the dunk, which is a little bit surprising considering you have two for 18 in game seven and 94 of the NBA finals, a team game where the Knicks could have won and won an actual championship. And yet Stark seems to like, people remember it, but like, that's not like the number one thing people will talk about when you think of John Starks. I think in many ways, a lot of it is because of the things you talked about, because he was a guy that truly was an orange and blue blood. He bled orange and blue. Like this guy, um, you know, you know, you got the feeling that guys like Oakley and Starks and Mason, you guys would die on the court if if it meant they could get a win. You know, you know, it's John Starks. I'll never forget the the video of him kissing the garden floor, kissing that logo uh, right at, at center court, like all those things. And then the underdog story about him being a guy who's bagging groceries, trying to just find an NBA roster and then working his way into the starting lineup, becoming a key contributor to the Knicks. I think, uh, him and kind of embodying what New York is about overcoming adversity, not giving up, getting knocked down and getting back up. And sometimes having tough moments like a two for 18 with a chance to win the title, but knowing that, Hey, he gave it his all, he gave it his best. And, and at the end of the, at the, end of the day, New York will love you for it. I think it's an important lesson to learn for someone like a Julius Randall. So we were talking about saying, Hey, you, it doesn't, we're not saying make every shot. You can be a legend here. You can be an icon here and not make every shot. It's about, how you approach the game is about how you give it your all. And that's what the city respects. A hundred percent. I mean, and listen, I know Tibbs tells us he watches film, but you can't tell me. Julius Randle would not be allowed back on the floor. Forget about the head coach. Forget about the front office. 
Charles Oakley, Patrick Ewing, John Starks would not allow him to not try hard in any game, let alone a season elimination game, um, in, in, in any yeah. playoff game. They just would not allow him to lollygag up and down the floor um, continuously. Um, one time it happens, you get frustrated, but the type of stuff we see again and again and again, and that kind of clouds the vision. So again, yeah, to your point, and I don't mean to pick on Randall in the spot, right. um, but yeah. it's like it's, it's like a um, a, a, an ex or a, a lost love. You know, you can remember the heartache of it, but if, as long as you guys like split amicably, and you know, maybe you went to a different college and she went to a different college, and you know, just things happen, you grow and you're apart, and just wasn't meant to be. You can still remember those amazing times. You know, like those those high school years, those those. those yeah. Those first times, those first time falling in love stuff, you know, like all those, right. those flowers and rainbows and all that stuff. Whereas maybe, you know, as a 25 year old, you, you know, you're in a serious relationship and you're about to get engaged and then you find out she's cheating on you and you forget all the other good stuff and you can just, you know, this right. that, yeah. It's the it's the nasty toxic stuff that you do you know, that makes yeah. you sick and you and you and that's all you can see you know so like somebody that you that you look that you want to that you choose to look back on finally you remember you know the 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 joy they brought you as opposed to the heartache um, and I think also um, the 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 pain that you could see in Starks I, I actually I've had the opportunity to interview uh, Mr Starks a couple of times and I and, and and he's taught and he's talked about I, I asked him specifically about Game Seven um, and it was kind of hard and you could see his face you know and he talked about he didn't watch it for like six months he didn't he didn't he, you know he never watched the tape of the game he talked yeah. to sports therapists and then he struggled for the first three months of the following season couldn't hit a shot um, and he said yeah. it was messing with his mind so he he watched it he watched it from start to finish a sports psychologist recommended you know you, you're you fear this bully because it's the unknown just watch it and maybe that'll help so he just went through a whole bunch of long story short it didn't take you know you don't have to talk to starks to know that it ripped his heart nobody right. every nick fans knew every nick fan knew yes it it broke my heart but it was more painful for mr for starks himself right. you know so like they could sense that and right. when you can sense right. that even like you talk about randall like ah it's a learning lesson you know you know i learned we'll learn a little bit we'll be back no like there was no there was no pretense there um you know you could tell it was the most important game of his life and he failed miserably you know uh, prolifically on the biggest stage on the biggest game he'll ever play and that's something that he'll have to take to his grave with them and nick fans knew that so it's almost like we don't need to, to to pile on that he understands that let's try to it's almost like let's try to lift him up because he because right. he he felt it like us i think as fans that's really what you want is a connection you want to you want to think at least and I think a lot of fans would be devastated if they knew how little certain players cared about the outcomes yes, of contests. Exactly. Um, but you want to hope that they care half as much as you do. And with Starks, you knew that he cared more than you do. So you almost want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Couldn't have said it better myself. And that's a great place to leave it. So thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey, WFAN original, a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Remember, Wherever you get your podcast, hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes. Every time we drop, we drop two times a week during the offseason. We'll do some three times a week as well, depending on certain things happening during the offseason. So make sure you're locked in. We're not going nowhere. So uh, make sure you hit that auto-download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. Also, check us out on YouTube. You can catch us on the Odyssey Sports channel and the WFN channel as well if you want to see that great uh, picture of uh, John Starks dunking over Michael Jordan, like Knicks fans will say. Uh, uh, make sure you check us out on YouTube as well. Um, that'll do it for now. Tommy, let the people know where they can find you. 
Forget where you can find me today. I want to say one thing. Game okay. six, 27 points. Starks was brilliant, masterful That's true. in game six uh, That's true. Uh, in Houston. If if, if Hakeem doesn't get his fingertip on that three-pointer, that that drops. It, and you talk about game of inches. That changes the way we view Patrick Ewing, changes the way we yep. view Starks, changes the way we view Oakley. Legacies changed by a finger by, by a quarter of an inch of Hakeem Olajuwon. Starks told me that day he knew for a fact that ball was going to drop, and I think all Nick fans know that as well. Um, we love you, Johnny Sparks. Love John Starks. My first ever favorite Nick, so much love to John Starks. Hope I get to talk to him at some point. Uh, in the future as well. You can find me EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, actually EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you guys again so much for checking us out. Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.